I'm going to read the, this morning from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13 as our, our main focus in, in Scripture. So if you want to find that in one of the Bibles under your, your seats or in your own Bible or on your device, however you want to do that, it'll be on the screen behind us as well. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Receive this from God's Word today. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. I wouldn't say I have a ton of memories from high school English class, but one that I do have was the the day that the English teacher, kind of out of the blue, asked our class if anybody had read the Bible. And I, you know, Hands did not shoot up, as it turned out, and so I can't even recall at the time if I was the one person willing to admit to being all religious, but uh, by that age, I was pretty comfortable with it, so I, I think I would have. And it, it wasn't that the teacher in question was a, was a Christian either, but she was trying to help the class see the origins of a lot of different things that we were reading, and the fact, help people understand that, look, if you want to get English literature, you might want to check out the Bible at some point, because so many of our ideas and common phrases that are all around us uh, in our books and our movies and whichever one of Shakespeare's plays we were reading, they are drawn from the Bible. A lot of people don't even have any idea that uh, the expressions that we hear and use on a regular basis are biblical. You know, whether it's the 11th hour or being at your wit's end or the blind leading the blind or by the skin of your teeth or falling by the wayside or finding a fly in the ointment or the writing on the wall, these are all you know, just a few of the, the many biblical expressions that still pop up. There's just no way to overstate the importance of the Bible on how our world has been shaped. But for the first 1,600-ish and then some years of Christianity, Bibles were a very rare commodity. There were very few to go around and not many people who could read them anyway. So most Christians at, up to that time would have perhaps heard a snippet of Scripture that was read at, at church once or twice a week that they would, they would dwell on, those, those little bits and pieces, those nuggets that they'd memorized through the week. Hearing the, hearing the words of Scripture was this precious opportunity for them. 
And of course, today it could not be more different, right? I mean, in our part of the world, at least, we have absolutely nonstop access to the Bible. Physical copies are everywhere. You can get a free one anytime you want from just about any, from a number of different sources. It's on the internet, it's on your phone, along with all kinds of things that can tell you what different books and passages mean. But at the same time, there's only at this point a very small subset of Christians who consistently spend time with the Bible. So here at Faith Baptist for the Fall, we're, we're trying to encourage three priorities set out in our Mission Edge Church vision statement, which is up on the screen right there, about connecting to God, connecting to each other, and connecting to our community. And we talked about connecting to God through prayer last week, and today I want to do something similar, talk about connecting to God through the Bible. Now, if you were a Sunday school kid at some point in the last century or so, uh, you might remember the, the little song that says, read your Bible, pray every day, right? Pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll what? You'll grow, grow, grow. There it is. Someone, someone's been. <laughs> Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 it says. And I feel like this morning I just really want to flesh that out a little bit. If you want to grow, 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 how should you use the Bible? How often should you read it? How much should you read at a time? How should you approach what you're reading? And with all of the demands on your time, what will spending some of that time with the Bible actually do to help you in your life? So I'll offer what I can for those who maybe don't have as much experience with the Bible and as a reminder to those who do have a fair amount of history with it. And just as we did with prayer last Sunday, I want to start by looking at how Jesus did things. So the passage I chose for today is this vitally important moment in Jesus' life and mission. It's his, his temptation in the wilderness. And so, like, even if you've never seen the movie Rocky, you might still be familiar with the famous training montage that happens in there where Rocky Balboa is shown jogging all over Philadelphia and he's training in the boxing ring and he's punching animal carcasses in a meat locker and he's running up and down the steps of that museum. That's the scene a lot of people can picture. And now, today in Philadelphia, at the top of that museum is a statue of Rocky Balboa. It's one of their better tourist attractions, apparently. And so, I feel like this part of Luke's gospel is a little bit like this. It shows us how Jesus is being prepared for the challenges ahead of him. The chapter before in Luke 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and we read, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then Jesus went off into the wilderness, and we're reminded in today's passage that he was full of the Holy Spirit from that experience, and he was led by the Spirit to go out there. And Luke writes that he ate nothing during those 40 days. And that is a possible thing for a healthy person to survive, although it's very risky. Uh, Matthew's version of this same story in his gospel says Jesus fasted for 40 days, and that, that can, uh, fasting can mean that you eat certain things at certain times. But in either, any case, Jesus was physically weakened and extremely hungry as he was tested here. And so this is where you can kind of picture Jesus out in the desert, and he's surviving, and he's praying, and he's fighting off the devil while the Rocky theme plays in the background. And yeah, I'm joking a little bit, but keep in mind what Jesus knows is coming here. I mean, he is about to go up against the mighty Roman Empire's political power, a big part of the Jewish religious establishment's influence, and the spiritual forces of evil determined to keep humanity in a state of sin and death. 
that's, that's a pretty big fight that's coming. And the secret weapon to win these battles is a cross with him on it. How do you prepare yourself for something like that? So the, the extreme nature of Jesus' mission is something that the devil then tries to exploit in this passage in the hope of getting Jesus to abandon his plan or to compromise himself so he can't do it. And Luke does not give any preamble in his gospel to the arrival of the devil. There's no explanation at all. Like, and then the devil's there. His original audience didn't need that explanation. Like, they just took it for granted that there was an active force for evil in the world. There was Satan who works against God's purposes, who seeks to deceive people into rejecting God and doing harm to themselves and others. In our pretty comfortable society, it may not seem as obvious to some people, but at the same time, a lot of people do encounter at some point in their life evil in a form they recognize is more than just the sum of bad human choices. It always stuck with me uh, after I read his book that Rome, uh, General Romeo Dallaire, who was on the front lines of the Rwandan genocide and all the horrors of that, once said that all those horrific experiences didn't cause him to doubt in God's existence. He said he knew God must be real because he'd shaken hands with the devil. And in Luke 4, the devil tries to tempt Jesus away from his mission to redeem humanity by getting him to stop trusting in God the Father. So that first he tries to prey on his physical weakness. He says, look, if God can really be trusted, why has he allowed you to go hungry? If you are the Son of God, just tell this stone to become bread and eat. And then he tries to get Jesus to skip the sacrificial part of his mission. He says, if God can really be trusted... Why should you have to endure torture and death? Worship me and I'll put you in charge of all the kingdoms of the earth right now. And then finally, he tries to tempt Jesus using power and fame uh, instead of the rejection that Jesus was going to experience. If God can really be trusted, why won't he just let you gather a whole army of adoring followers? Right? Throw yourself from the highest part of the temple in front of everyone. Let angels bring you down to safety and no one's going to doubt you after that. And those are some serious temptations. If you were looking at the path that lay ahead of Jesus, wouldn't you be tempted to choose an easier way? And so Jesus' main defense here, I mean, he certainly had the help of the Holy Spirit. He'd certainly been praying to help him through this. But the ammunition that he fired back at Satan was Scripture. Jesus turned to his Bible, our Old Testament, and all three of Jesus' responses came from the book of Deuteronomy. Should he take it on himself to make bread instead of waiting on God? No. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. Life is about more than material things. Should Jesus take a shortcut to power and ally himself with the devil? No. Worship the Lord and serve him only. And then Satan switches it up, and he tries quoting the Bible to Jesus. He quotes Psalm 91 to support this idea that Jesus ought to hurl himself off the temple heights. But Jesus rejects that whole effort, going back again to Deuteronomy 6, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And it's just worth kind of stepping out of the main theme today and, and noticing that the devil can quote Scripture and can use it to tempt people into doing what's wrong. Just because something is biblical does not mean it's right. Just because someone quotes the Bible doesn't mean that their words don't come from the devil himself. But if you don't know the first thing about the Bible, it's going to be awfully hard to tell when this is happening. So, I, mean, I could 
I could prepare 20 very different sermons about this passage, but what I want to zone in on today is really about how Jesus responded to that first temptation when he said, man shall not live on bread alone. Because there's more to being human than food for your belly and a roof over your head or even all the luxuries that our modern world can offer us. If that's all you've got, then what is there to stop you from giving in to every temptation that comes your way? What stops you from becoming just a very shallow and self-centered person, blind to how you're going to find your way to what matters most in your few years on this earth? Jesus could readily see how the devil was trying to trick him and respond with what was right because Jesus was just brimming with knowledge of Scripture. Christians understand Jesus to be both fully human and fully divine. And I don't think that as God, Jesus had the contents of the Old Testament like downloaded into his human mind. I don't think that's how it worked at all. He became familiar with the Scriptures in exactly the same way that you or I can. He read it. He thought about it. He talked with people about it. And I'm not saying that maybe he didn't have a bit of an edge in understanding God's intent behind those words, but he still had to learn them. And a key point here is that when Jesus faced his essential moment, his biggest challenge to date, he was already prepared because of his desire to obey God and his knowing God's word as found in Scripture. So yes, even Jesus needed to be prepared in order to face the struggles and temptations that human beings face. And so what, what would make us think then that we can just kind of wing it or just wait until things get real rough and then maybe check on whether or not you know, the Bible's got something to say or, or figure this prayer thing out? Man shall not live by bread alone. Like everybody really needs to decide whether or not Jesus is right about that because we live in a culture that strongly disagrees, right? For in, our, in our society, it is all about bread, Right? It is about money, it is about the things and experiences and statuses that you can get with it. Because we, we see, I mean, the, the statistics don't lie and they're getting more and more pronounced that people are becoming less connected to friends and family as years go by. Fewer people are having children and families of their own. They're increasingly putting their digital lives ahead of their real lives. And we don't seem to have much sense of purpose as a people. Right? We are not, by and large, a nation of philosophers or poets or visionaries or warriors or saints, we are consumers, right? That's our job. That's the job the culture assigns to us. Try to, it's really get more bread. That's the meaning of life. Is that enough? I mean, we need a certain amount of bread, but bread doesn't bring lasting purpose. It doesn't help you grow into the healthiest and most joyful version of you. It doesn't impart wisdom to help sustain your most important relationships. Bread does not offer hope in life's hardest moments or for anything beyond this life. And that is the way the devil likes it, when we try to live on bread alone. That makes for spiritually and intellectually weak people who are easy to deceive and tempt onto a foolish path through life. When we don't have deeply rooted principles or a strong foundation of values or a mature concept of God, then we're vulnerable. And engaging with the Bible is an indispensable part of becoming people, frankly, who are not at the mercy of the devil, who don't need... And by the way, the devil does not need to turn people into like psychotic killers or anything that dramatic. I think he is quite happy when he can just keep most people utterly focused on themselves and how they can get more bread. 
consider Ephesians 5, 11 to 15 for a moment. And it's, it's called to grow in maturity as followers of Jesus. It says this to those who would, who would, become, who would be Christians. He says, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. So let's talk a little bit about engaging with the Bible. What does it accomplish? How should you go about it? And first of all, just like it did for Jesus, the Bible helps us resist temptation. In the biggest recent study I could find about the effects of when I say engaging with the Bible, I mean reading it or listening to it. Excuse me. It was, and it was found that people who did engage regularly with the Bible showed a very large reduction in things like alcoholism, explosive anger issues, sex outside of marriage, the use of pornography. And there were also some huge positive effects when it came to having a passion for your faith. Those regular Bible readers or listeners were about four and a half times more likely to share their faith with someone else or to be in a relationship where they help disciple another Christian. And one of the most interesting findings in that study was that Bible reading was a bigger factor in these measurements, these aspects of spiritual maturity, than church attendance or prayer, like by a lot. And so I just want to repeat that so no one misses it, that to avoid temptation or to be more regularly energized in your faith, there's strong evidence that engaging with your Bible regularly matters more, quite a bit more than even attending church on a regular basis or prayer. It has a significant effect on you in your day-to-day life. And this was especially true for teenagers. So there's a challenge to us parents now to, to get our kids engaging with the Bible when they're young because teenagers who stay in the habit of reading it on their own, end up on a very different trajectory through life from those who don't, even if they keep coming to church. But there's one more thing that from this study that was really important here, because there was this magic number, and this magic number was four. Four was the magic number, four times per week. That's when the benefits of Bible reading kicked in. See, and because this it seems a little counterintuitive, but people who engaged with their Bible once or twice or three times a week, they showed very little difference from those who didn't read it at all. It was when they crossed that threshold into four or more times that it started to actually make this difference. Now, I know very well that between going to work and trying to keep a house at least functionally tidy and caring for kids and keeping up with all the other details of modern life, it is hard to make time, time for things that don't help you get through the day you're in. And unlike prayer, which we talked about kind of integrating into your day, keeping company with God, uh, engaging with the Bible does require a little more dedicated time and focus. Like you can, you know, you can listen to the Bible on audio while you're doing a bunch of other things, and some people maybe can do that, but a lot of other people are going to probably wake up five minutes later and realize that you've been listening to a whole bunch of stuff and you have no idea what was going on there. There does require some attention. 
And so it's easy to skip over this habit because most days, if you read the Bible, it often will not seem to do anything for you in that moment. Not always, but it will not necessarily cause some great revelation or cause some you know, ability to suddenly get through in a way you couldn't before. But just like one day of not exercising or one day of not eating any vegetables doesn't seem to do you much harm, it changes when you think about what happens if you don't do that for a week or a month or a year. You become unhealthy. And in this case, spiritually unhealthy by never engaging with the Bible. And you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I'll go ahead and say that, that you've never met a deeply mature Christian who didn't put time and effort into engaging with the Bible. And you will never, therefore, become a deeply mature Christian if you do not. You can use the name Christian, but you will, you will lack the strength to resist temptation, the security of knowing God more closely, the wisdom to make the best choices for your life. That's a hollow faith that doesn't offer you much more than having no faith at all, and where you, you will not sense God at work in your life. And there's a bad feedback loop where, you know, we stop paying attention to the Bible or prayer, and then we stop sensing God at work in our life and stop, and there's this feedback thing that happens, and eventually you can just start to say, well, what good is it? It doesn't seem to be doing anything for me. And often the reality is, well, you know, people will pray and say, well, God, where did you go? And the reality is that God has not gone anywhere. We've just begun ignoring Him. The renowned preacher John Stott explained what we miss out on if we step away from the Bible. He says, in the Bible, God gives us revelations of Himself, which lead us to worship, promises of salvation which stimulate our faith, and commandments expressing His will which demand our obedience. This is the meaning of Christian discipleship. Now, the good news is that engaging with the Bible is not something <clears throat> that requires hours of intense daily study. Because remember when I started, I said that, look, for the first 1,600 plus years of Christianity, reading your own Bible every day was not even an option for the vast majority of people. And that didn't mean they didn't have a vibrant faith, <clears throat> excuse me. But what they did was seek opportunities to engage with God's Word where they could, at church, at prayer meeting. And then they memorized bits and pieces. They meditated on the words of that week as they farmed and cleaned and sewed and cut wood and whatever else was involved in their day. And that's something we can do a little of as well, even by carrying around some of those Bible bookmarks that I've put out for this month <laughs> that have a, just a, a piece of a psalm on them, something you might see often, just read a little bit, maybe keep a sentence or two of that in your head as you go through your week and see what happens when reflecting on those words. But of course, we do have access to Bibles that we can read, which will read themselves to us even, in order to access Scripture on our own terms. The Adele Calhoun in her Spiritual Disciplines Handbook sums up the point of Bible study well when she says, through Bible study, we gain insights into God, into human nature, and into creation. Studying Scripture can equip and guide and reveal how to live in life-giving ways that deepen our friendship with God and others. Both Old and New Testaments encourage regular study, meditation, contemplation, and memorization of God's Word. Bible study is fundamentally just picking up a Bible and reading some of it, or listening to some being read, or recording uh, from a recording or your Bible app or whatever it is. But there are different ways you can approach what you're reading or hearing, and some fit with different people's personalities or interests more. I mean, for example, if you haven't really ever gotten into the regular habit of Bible reading, I don't really recommend the read a Bible in a year plans. 
I mean, they're great. Um, you know, I think that they can be a very handy thing. But if you're starting from scratch, you're going to find that that's probably just too much. And then you're going to fall behind, and then eventually you're going to leave it by the wayside, like the, just the amount you have to go through. Read the New Testament in a year. That's a little, that's a little more uh, workable. But you can also just choose to start with a book. And, you know, a few verses at a time is, is great. There's, you know, you have to make it work in that way. And there are a number of different ways that you can read it. We think that you, you pick up a thing, you read it, and that's, that's, you've done it. But there are actually, when you go into the Bible, there are a few different ways you can choose to approach it. And I'm going to list two from Calhoun's handbook, and, and there are many others, but maybe that'll spark a little something or give people an idea about how to, in a fresh way, approach your Bibles. One, one, thing, she, one thing she brings up is one called the treasure seeker method, right? You're not, you're not going into the Bible for facts. You're, you're looking for nuggets of treasure, and she says, maybe ask questions like, is there a good example I can follow here? Is there a promise I can lean on here or a command I, can obe- I should obey? Is there a wise truth I can apply to my life? Is there a sin I should confess based on what I've just read? Is there a question in this that God might be asking me right now? Or another one that she recommends for new readers of the Bible is called the Jesus Apprentice Method, which is where you choose one of the Gospels. She says, maybe Mark, maybe Luke, which we just read from today. And you study it really just to learn everything you can about Jesus. To ask yourself, what seems to be important to Jesus here? What sort of questions does he ask people? What sort of questions do people ask him? What is Jesus inviting me to be or to do that I can take from this? Understanding how the Bible works and the different types of writing found within it can help us as well. That's where some people would benefit a lot from reading a book like How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth or going online to access the Bible Project's videos that cover all the different genres that are found in Scripture. So, so you know the difference in how you might read poetry versus wisdom literature or prophetic books or epistles. Or, you know, the Bible is it's not a book, it is a library, and there are different genres within it. But you don't have to start there. Because my conviction is that the Bible is, is more than simply a library of ancient books, that it represents God's Word to us. God speaks through His Word. And the Bible itself says so in the book of Hebrews, where it says, for the Word of God is living and active. The Bible is what God wanted us to have, to better understand Him and to connect to Him. And if you pick it up with a desire to please God, I trust God to bless you when you do. So maybe you will experience some feeling or gain some piece of wisdom that helps you in that very moment when you need it. Maybe you'll have a reminder of what's right that helps you resist temptation that week. Maybe you'll just store some truth away that helps you in a year or guides you down a a path that you'll be glad you walked in a decade. But unlike the many, many things that we do to distract ourselves and kind of soothe our overloaded brains through the day, time with the Bible is not time that is wasted just offer a word of prayer to conclude things this morning. God, your, your word is deep and rich and, and wonderful and incredible and fascinating, but that can also make it intimidating. God, I pray today that you would just meet each person where they are, whether they've, they've never tried to, to get serious about engaging with your word, whether they do it every single day and have for, for decades whether they have been in the habit at some point in their life, but, but they've kind of fallen off of that and aren't sure how to get going again. God, even those who 
maybe they've, they have a problem with the Bible. They've run into some part of it that, that just rubs them the wrong way or they don't know what to do about it. God, wherever each person is, I pray that you would help them to take a good step, a helpful step forward, something that will draw them closer to you, that will help them experience your love and guidance for them, that will empower them to resist temptation and, and live a better life. And so, God, I pray that on our own and together as your church here, that you would just remind us and help us and, and strengthen us, allowing us to return more and more often to your word so that we can be shaped by it in ways that, that we will be thankful for. I ask all this in Jesus' name.